I tend to learn better lessons from the hardship in my life and transitioning as someone, I mean, I had never fired a weapon. I had never even been camping before I joined the Marine Corps. And so just being a complete fish out of water and, and having to be in experiences where not only were they completely foreign and new to me, but there was a standard, there was a bar that I had to meet. And thankfully, no one was going to lower that bar for me. And instead, the entire training and development process was about uh, helping and supporting, sometimes through methods that didn't look helpful or supportive, helping me get to the point where I could meet and exceed the bar. And that full accountability was a wake-up call and was scary as heck. And I had lots and lots of failure in those early days of training. Yet, I also had the grit, right? I mean, you know what grit is uh, more than anyone. And there was something inside of me that the core inspired to just keep stepping. And I got better and better and got to a point where I could meet and exceed the standards because, you know, I was able to confront my own ego and, and take a lot of accountability. Hi, I'm Shannon Huffman Polson, and I want to welcome you to Facing the Wind, season two of the Grit Factor podcast. We are going to have a great time this season with episodes bringing you experts from around the world in leadership, grit, resilience, purpose, and storytelling. I've listened to you over this last year, your comments, your responses, your conversations, your questions, and this really is a season that has been designed with you in mind. This really is a season that's been designed to answer those questions that you need to know in order to fulfill that mission that I know we have in common, that mission of the Grit Institute, which is building courageous leaders for a better world. We're doing that through our courses online at thegritinstitute.com, through our books, and of course, through this podcast. And if you have a question you'd like to have included, please head over to thegritinstitute.com forward slash podcasts and leave your voicemail. Let's take off. I'm so excited today to share my conversation with Courtney Lynch, a fellow veteran, business owner, thought leader, and author, and standout in the leadership development space. Courtney served nine years as a Marine Corps officer, managed a top-notch sales team for Rational Software, earned her law degree at William & Mary, practiced at one of the nation's leading law firms, and created LeadStar, a premier leadership development consulting firm. She has also served as an elected official and recently spent time living in the UK, during which she served as chief operating officer of a rapidly scaling technology company. Beyond Courtney's government and corporate accomplishments, she is a business owner, thought leader, and New York Times bestselling author of Spark, Bet on You, and Leading from the Front. She has been awarded the National Stevie Award for Best Female Entrepreneur and profiled by Business Week. Courtney has appeared on CNBC, Fox News, and CNN and has been featured in publications like Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and the Financial Times. It's so great to have her on Facing the Wind. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for being on The Grit Factor. It's fantastic to connect with you again. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Shannon. Thank you so much for hosting me. Uh, thanks for being here. And you have, there's so much to talk about with you. Um, I want to get to your, your newest book and, and the book before that and, and the work that you're doing now. But I feel like our, the listeners would really appreciate coming back to the beginning and understanding a little bit more about Courtney, who you are, and and maybe get a little bit into your, your story of the military that uh, is the base and the foundation for what brought you to where you are today. 
Sure. No, I'm happy to share. I, I like to describe myself as an accidental leader. I love leadership and everything I do today is about supporting the success of others and helping people develop their leadership skills. Yet I wasn't someone who grew up going, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be a leader. Like that didn't resonate with me. It wasn't anything I was thinking about. Yet I made that non-traditional career choice at a pretty early age. So right after college, I joined the United States Marine Corps. And I think that's where I first heard the word leader much more consistently. My recruiter at the time told me that, yes, it was great to be joining the Marine Corps for adventure or uh, money for school or all of these other great benefits, but that the lasting benefit to me would be that I would learn how to lead people. And I knew that it was a positive thing, just by the way he would kept saying that and messaging that, but I really didn't know what it meant. And I was very fortunate. He was absolutely right uh, to go into the military and to get be taught a skill set that I don't think is very uh, very difficult to understand. Now it can be more challenging to demonstrate, but I don't think a lot of people get the benefit of actually learning to lead as a skill set and having how to do it broken down for you. And so the military taught me how to influence and inspire other people. And I will be forever grateful for the experiences I had and the learning I had uh, as a Marine. And so that's that's the beginning of my story with leadership and, and learning to love leadership was seeing the value in uniform and then eventually transitioning out of uniform and recognizing it was an undertaught skill set. So Courtney, go, so back up just a little bit. Um, what did you sure. see in college and how did you make that decision? I mean, it's a huge decision, right? And any decision yeah. you make in that age is important, but then that decision, and I remember being an ROTC at Duke, right? It was not the standard thing that most people were doing. So so talk a little bit about how you made that decision to, to become a Marine. Sure. You know, I was influenced. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. And so while my own family, we didn't have people in the military in my family, the fathers of my really great friends in the D.C. area and high school uh, were in the military, two in particular, one in the Navy, one in the Marine Corps. And I think they saw that I was just a kid that liked adventure. I was also athletic. I played sports. And so both of them independently started talking to me about the military as a career. Uh, one of my childhood friends, her dad, took me up to the Naval Academy for a day and and just spent some time telling me his story in the Navy. And so I was really fortunate that people put the opportunity in front of me. And also in a way, I mean, women are a significant minority in the Marine Corps. So out of about 180,000 Marines at any given time, only about 1,000 of them are female officers. And so I loved it that I had mentors that actually never even really brought that point up to me. They just kept encouraging me to ask questions and to explore. And so I think that seed planning made a difference. I went off to college. My first career was journalism. I worked for ABC News when I was in college. I got very lucky and got this amazing job. And then I was interviewing for a job at CNN. And I remember a, a kind of a crusty old producer talking to me right before the interview and just saying things like, you know, young women, blondes, they're a dime a dozen in this business. Things he couldn't get away with saying today, right? But he's like, why don't you go get it life and then come back and be a reporter? Why do you want to do this now? And it was interesting because he was just pontificating, right? And I love it. When someone's strong in their opinion, I just go into listen mode and I want to learn from them. And it was really interesting because while I had enjoyed the news business and had had some early success, 
I was sensing too that media was going in a different direction and maybe not the substantive direction where I wanted to spend my career. So this guy, I have no idea what his name is. I wish I could thank him today, but he started me thinking about, well, what could I do? Maybe to be more competitive in journalism, but also to truly have a life to be able to perhaps relate to the headlines more. Yes. And that's when after college, I started thinking, you know, what about the military? I, I've always been interested. Why don't I just talk to some folks? And then I also, I did want to go to grad school. I'm, I'm one of five kids. My parents had graciously supported my undergraduate, but I knew grad school was on me. And the idea of the GI Bill was a great thing to get some money for for school. And I think it's funny, you know, I was afraid of student loans, but I was all okay with joining the Marine Corps. Right. So, <laughs> so you so might funny? question my sanity a little bit, right? But I think it was, yeah. you know, practical, a chance to get amazing experience. And and I knew I needed to grow up a bit too, and, and maybe see some things that were different than what I had seen before. Sure, sure. No, that's great. So tell us about uh, what it was like once you uh, made that decision and, and went into the service. <laughs> <laughs> it's all just blocked out of my memory. It was so crazy. No, <laughs> so honestly, it was it was an amazing experience, and it was an amazing experience because I don't know about you, but I tend to learn better lessons from the hardship in my life. And transitioning as someone, I mean, I had never fired a weapon. I had never even been camping before I joined the Marine Corps, and so just being a complete fish out of water and, and having to be in experiences where not only were they completely foreign and new to me, sure. but there was a standard, there was a bar that I had to meet. And thankfully, no one was going to lower that bar for me. And instead, the entire training and development process was about uh, helping and supporting, sometimes through methods that didn't look helpful or supportive helping me get to the point where I could meet and exceed the bar. And that full accountability was a wake up call and was scary as heck. And I had lots and lots of failure in those early days of training. Yet I also had the grit, right? I mean, you you know what grit is uh, more than anyone. And there was something inside of me that the core inspired to just keep stepping. And I got better and better and got to a point where I could meet and exceed the standards because, you know, I was able to confront my own ego and, and take a lot of accountability. Courtney, I, lo- I love that. Actually, so many different parts of that that I could pull apart. But one of the things is is having that grit, which sometimes just means not that you're so tough and that you're running and charging, charging the hill, but that you're just taking one more step and then you're just taking one more step, right? And I love also this idea that you meet and exceed the standard. And I, I, I mean, you can't say that enough. Like you go in and um, I remember going to bosses in the, in the army and saying, I want to exceed the standard. If I'm ever at any point not exceeding the standard, I want you to tell me and, and tell me what I need to do if, I, if I'm not figuring that out. So, so that's amazing. And you don't learn that anywhere the same way as you do in the military, right? No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think too, let's bring in the fact that both you and I were minorities in the organization and what an amazing experience. I also learned that when you are one of few, you carry the standard for the entire minority class, right? Like if I were to fall out of a run, it would have been all women can't hang. Whereas I saw one of my male peers have a bad day. It was, yep, John, he had a bad day today, right? And so that actually, I don't want to talk about was that fair? Was that wrong? Was that right? It just was. And it was 
actually a great experience for me to recognize that um, again, it is meet and exceed standards, and you you know, you have a responsibility to to continue to to blaze trails by meeting those standards. And it doesn't mean you're perfect on your first try. And that's the interesting thing too. The Marine Corps didn't expect perfection. They expected you to get out of your own way and be open to learning. And if you again, could subordinate your own ego and get over trying to prove yourself and just stay open to the learning, everything was there right right in front of you to, to do what was needed to be successful. And that's what's exciting, helping people outside of the military realize that you can get out of your own way and you have so much more within you. And I, I really appreciate that I got that experience very early on in my career as a young Marine. That is, uh, that's incredibly well said. And I'm talking to people recently about this idea of authenticity and how it's almost being able to be who you are and lead in a way that is true to who you are is, is critically important. And at the same time, there's almost this, this overemphasis to the point of really being a problem because essentially it is people getting in their own way, right? Like, well, I am important, so I must have this. And you're like, well, well, actually what you're doing is you're being part of an organization and you're contributing to the success of the organization. And, and that's where the power is, right? And so if authenticity is based on having your hair dyed blue at the investment bank, well, that's not the right place to put the focus, right? Sure. Yeah, no, definitely, right? It's like, I'd rather be a special a part of a team, right? Be a part of a team being special than yes. be special myself. Does that make sense, right? And I think yes. it is it's that desire to be collaborative and Yes, authenticity is so important, right? I mean, we are we're humans, we're social creatures by nature, right? And every single one of us has has two very strong fundamental priorities, right? One, we want to be liked, right? We want to be affirmed. And two, we want to be respected. The challenge is, right? And I think sometimes people can overstrength on authenticity when they go about having those two fundamental needs met in that order. If yeah. we're just trying to be liked, right, we're going to kind of shift and jive and change with the wind, right? And right. we probably will lose even our own sense of self. Yes. But if we reverse the order and we focus first on earning respect, right, how are we accountable? How do we meet standards? How do we demonstrate a sense of care and compassion and service for others, right? Those are all respect earning behaviors. When yeah. we can do those things and then just show up as we are, right? Just be as we are, lead as we are, be authentic. The life part really does take care of itself, right? And if it doesn't, you're in the wrong crowd anyway. Um, and I think that that's the key, right? But I think sometimes you're, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head, right? People just are trying so hard to be authentic. They're actually not in touch with who they are. And they might be actually losing credibility and respect in the process. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really important conversation right now because there's just this this um, unreal emphasis on what it means to be individual when, uh, you know, that's great and that's important to work on in your own time and, and, to, and to be the person that you are meant to be. But at the end of the day, it's about how you contribute, right? And then how you can. Yeah, better together, right? Like, uh, together. I mean, there's cool things you could do, Shannon. There's cool things I could do, but I guarantee you the two of us together could do things a lot better and, and have a lot bigger impact, whether that's a positive impact or, or just an operational contribution to, to an organization. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I, I um, So this is a little bit of a tangent, but I feel like it's, sure. it's connected to where we'll go to with how it is that you're now continuing that uh, that base of foundational leadership that you developed very early on. 
Um, one of the things I feel like we are, are facing right now, and, and without even referencing what the specifics are, <laughs> is, is a lack of um, kind of ethical accountability uh, in decisions that, that, that are being made. And, and I wonder, uh, you know, I read recently a, a really thoughtful article about somebody who teaches ethics at a university. They said, you know, for the first time in the last, you know, five or six years, they've had kids come into the class who have said, when, when typically you would say, well, obviously the Nazis are terrible, um, they've said, well, it sort of depends on how you think of it. And, and, and so somehow the ability to make a, an ethical assessment has started to become tenuous. And, and that obviously is leading to lots of problems um, in, in, uh, that are quite profound, actually, at the, at the root of our country and at the root of our, our ethos and our culture. How do we develop leaders who, who are still in touch with the ethical and the moral responsibilities of what it is that leadership is all about? I love that question. And I think it's a question that we all need to be asking ourselves and we need more and more answers too, right? Uh, so it's interesting when you talk about ethics, I do think it's, we live in an era where everyone feels they can make a case for anything. Yes. And then also, if I do have an opinion that let's say is outside of mainstream and what history tells us to be true, let's say I had an opinion that was very positive about some sort of action Hitler took, right? Sure. I could find so many people to agree with me quickly in, in our digital world, right? So it's interesting. It's hard for people to see a truth and so many institutions that we once trusted for truth uh, maybe don't feel like they're delivering that anymore, right? And so I think it is a lot of real discussion and scenario-based training. And actually, I mean, this is going to sound very narrow, but bringing back some true black and white to certain areas of decision-making. And I love myself when it comes to business or supporting a client or some of the more artistic things I get to do at work. I love being in the shades of gray because that's, I think, where you find opportunity. But when it comes to integrity, I had to learn this myself as a, a teenager or a young person before I went into the Marine Corps. I might have had, you know, the yes, no, and the maybe, and all these other different variable answers to straight up questions. Uh, I don't think integrity was as high on my priority list. And it doesn't mean I was a bad kid. I was just sure. figuring it out, right? I, I was actually I was really lucky. <laughs> I was actually really lucky in my formative years to go into an organization that was black, white. And when I say black, white, I mean, right, wrong, um, yes, no, about some issues that were about ethics and were about integrity and didn't allow the shades of gray. The shades of gray would be discussed to help you understand why, no, this is not ethical, or yes, this is absolutely ethical. But at the end of the day, there was a clear answer, ethical or not. And I think sometimes we get a little lost in the ambiguity, and there have to be some things that are just about right, wrong, yes, no, go, no, go. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. And I think that sometimes when there's too much complexity, it's a warning sign that uh, maybe we're all veering off the uh, kind of ethical, moral compass, North Star. No, th yeah, and thank you for fielding that because I, I am just uh, more and more and, and every day, I think, you know, we, we have to start um, not thinking that leadership is only about the financial bottom line, but but if you are in charge of and influencing other people, there is a moral responsibility, it seems to me, that comes with that. And that is starting to say, hey, 
things that hurt other people are wrong. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and the moment you start hiding something, the moment you start telling half-truths, the moment you start lacking in transparency, and this can be even to yourself. It doesn't have to be to another person. That's where it starts, right? It's a sign, right? It's a sign. And again, we all experience it, right? Because the only thing that I know for sure about you, me, and everyone listening is that we're fallible creatures. We make mistakes. We have poor judgment at times. Uh, the key is to start to recognize it, right? And that self-awareness is not only the accelerant for more ethical choices, it's also the accelerant for any area where you want to grow. If you can't reconcile where, hey, I'm missing the mark or, hey, uh, this is great, but it doesn't need to be. Yeah. You know, that, that bellwether is important to have. If you, if you can't see it in yourself first, it's going to be hard to, to influence and inspire others. Yeah, no, that's really well said. Thank you. This holiday season, make sure you have your copies of The Grit Factor, Courage, Resilience, and Leadership in the most male-dominated organization in the world. You can pick them up anywhere books are sold. It's the perfect gift for colleagues, for clients, and for anyone you care about. And I feel like that is uh, is some of the work that both of you had done in the in the Marine Corps that you have been doing now. It sounds like for for nearly eighteen years with your current company. So talk a little bit about because I, I think this is a really important thing, and there it is not necessarily as direct a link as some people understand it to be from the military into the business world. There certainly are, um, there's a whole new education to be had, right? There's not simply the inspiration of, hey, I wear a uniform, I deployed. That's great. I mean, there's a bunch of us that did that, but but then it's it's saying, hey, some of this applies, some of this doesn't, and let's start to, to continue to educate ourselves. So tell us a little bit about that transition into what you've been doing for the last 18 years. Sure, absolutely. So uh, the military gives you an amazing grounding and leadership, right? How do I influence outcomes and inspire others? And what are the behaviors? Yet, um, I felt like for me, it was really important after being in the military to go into the private sector. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I went in, it was the software was before the dot-com bomb and the software industry was roaring. And so I worked inside software company for a while. I did end up going to law school. Thank you, US taxpayers. You fully funded my legal education. And um, got to have some really great bridging experiences and spending time in the private sector. Yeah, my business partner, Angie, and I, we both were recognizing that we had had this, this special education. I was sharing how I think leadership is undertaught, and we saw its relevancy to so many of the different lanes we were now occupying in the private sector. And so we had a, just a real passion for for wanting to share our message. And we got this idea to write a book. And I think in the beginning, it was about, hey, how can we get together on the weekends, have a couple glasses of wine, maybe put something on the page that our grandkids will read someday. And we would meet and, and talk and we were trying to get a book proposal together. And so it really started our work with this idea of writing a book and yeah. in particular to women leaders, because yeah. we felt women leaders were least exposed to the leadership message of the military or the Marine Corps. Yeah. And so we figured out that, hey, if you run and write a book, you've got to have an agent. And through some really fun detective work, we found ourselves an agent and kind of cold called a couple. But the first one, actually, that we cold called ended up representing us. And on our agent in those early years was a huge mentor, helping us understand that if you're going to write a book on leadership, you actually probably need to be out in the private sector, talking to organizations and and really applying the lessons that you feel are important enough to write about. 
Yes. And so we just, you know, kind of a lot of Forrest Gump moments for us, you know, that character in the movie who oh, yeah. Tom Hanks just kind of shows up and cool things happen. We ended up our first client once we started our company uh, was Walmart. And so they were Fortune One at the time and they were involved in a large gender discrimination lawsuit at the time. And so we started to help support the leadership development um, of certain employees under the, the theme of, hey, if you can develop managers at the store level, you're going to have store problems that stay store problems. They won't come up and become company problems because there was a lack of leadership at the front lines of the organization. So we got very fortunate to be designing programs for them. And one thing led to another, and we just have had some pretty marquee clients through the years that have opened doors for us and believe in leadership or didn't believe in leadership development and then saw the value and uh, saw the results. And so they became believers and went to other organizations and, and took our firm Leadstar with them. So it's been, a, it's been a wonderful ride over the last 18 years to serve other people's companies, to, to walk in and be in the shoes and to live inside our client organization. We immerse ourselves completely in our client organization, really understanding their operations before we do any program designs. And sure. so it's just been a wonderful education. And I think today, Yes, certainly our military roots are relevant to our work, but what makes us most valuable as consultants is we've been inside so many organizations and kind of like a quarterback's coach, right? I've watched a lot of leaders throw the ball. And so I can share those lessons and, and pay them forward to the next leaders that are in my future to support. That's fantastic. No, that is fantastic. And that is very much, I think, the... Um... Uh, the, the foundation of leadership in the military is to continue to develop those leaders, right? And you're continually developing them and you're continually learning yourself and then sharing what it is that you know with those who are just behind you because that's how it all, how the ecosystem Yeah, works. and leaders at all levels. It's not just about title, right? We think of leadership as a verb, right? It's yes. a, everyone can lead. You don't have to be in a position of authority. I can influence you. You could be inspiring me, whether you're the boss or not. And yes. in the early days, we really had to explain that to clients as to why every Marine, you didn't have to be a general or a colonel or a sergeant major to have leadership development. Everybody was being developed. And so in the beginning, that was a very kind of, you know, unique concept for companies to absorb. But today, companies understand and very rarely do I have to explain why leaders at all levels they're calling us saying, hey, we need to develop leaders at all levels. Can you help us? Yes. Yes. That's wonderful. Yeah. I always say it has nothing to do with your rank or your position or the number of direct reports or the size of your PL, right? It's the it's a decision to lead, the decision to make a difference. And that's uh that's the genesis for anybody. hundred percent. You are very, very on point and not a surprise <laughs> knowing the awesome work that you do. <laughs> No, no, I, I uh, for mutual admiration. So you have, and uh, now after you wrote your first book, uh, you have recently come out with another. So tell us about how this is different and how it is that yeah, this is so, to evolve. And so we actually have three books in our Leadstar uh, org, um, and it's funny. Our agent and our publisher will tell us we should have ten, but we've been busy having lives, and I have three kids and three books. It's kind of funny how it all goes together. Um, but our first book was called Leading from the Front, and it was a leadership book for women, and and really helped put our 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 message out there and a little bit of our firm on the on the map. Our second book, though, was a big success and continues to sell today. It was a New York Times bestseller called Spark. That's what yes. we're most known for. Um, and then Spark has just everything about Spark for us is better leaders equals better world. And how can we just 
give away the content for free. It has a website, Sparks Lead Us. So sparkslead.us that we get tons of downloads every day uh, where people can just watch videos, get handouts, slide decks, um, everything related to the book. It's all for free. You don't even have to give your email address. Just go there and get what you need. And and people use that book consistently to just have conversations around what's important in their workplace. The book is that neutral content that people can debate or disagree with or use for best practices. And that's exciting. We get uh, messages all the time of how people were able to have the difficult conversations or the really exciting celebratory conversations they needed to have because the book was just there and, and grounding them. But our newest book, the acronym is BOY, and the cover is you is blue. So we're decided it's a boy, but it's called Bet on You. And we're doing something very different with promoting this book. And it's, I think it's scared HarperCollins. That's our publisher, but it's going great so far. We'll see. I told him, give me a year, give me 18 months. But Bet on You is all about how to win with risk. And we are promoting this book with social capital. And so every month I hold something called an author circle uh-huh. and invite people to participate and they come and participate. And then I ask them, hey, do you want to pay it forward? Would you like to invite a couple people to attend next month? And it's been crazy. Uh, people invite like 25 people. They don't just invite a couple so as I speak right now, one of my colleagues is actually working to automate the entire registration process. So everything is smooth and easy for people and better. And then Harper has been so generous. We actually can give people free copies of the book in this very early stage. And so if anyone wants to get invited to Author Circle, uh, I invite them to, to just drop me an email. I can share my email address. It's just C Lynch, C L Y N C H at leadstar.us. That's L E A D S T A R.us. And I will make sure they get an invitation. They get to sign up for a free book. And the book also has a free online tool where they can even make their own plan for bringing risk uh, more intentionally into their life. And so it's pretty exciting. The stories are awesome from what people are sharing. Um, I think there's just so much on people's heart, uh, reflection, things to process still from the pandemic experience and a little bit of risk, believe it or not, I think we're all open to it more than we were just a couple of years ago. So I just love to hear the stories of people leveraging risk for success after reading Bet On You and betting on yourself when you do it, you become stronger for those in your family and your community and your workplace. And so the book is all about how do you win with risk so you can add greater value to others? I love that so much. I, I both both your your strategy for for bringing yeah. And Shannon, if you ever want to do an author circle because your books are awesome, uh, you should. I will absolutely. I don't say you should. I don't like to tell people what they should do, but uh, you should let me know and I can share some best practices because it's just been so fun to watch it. It goes into all these random places, like I these organizations as I see who's signing up, and it's just so fun to be able to put the book. And that's what I ask people when they attend, like who needs this message? Like you value this message, who in your world, let's get it in their hands rather than some, I don't know, big splashy promo that maybe feels random. This is someone tapping someone on their shoulder and saying, Hey, check out this book. It was meaningful to me. And and that's just been really, really joyful to facilitate the, the bet on you author circles. 
Well, I will definitely take you up on that. I think that's brilliant. And I hope all of the other writers that are listening to this. Uh, yeah, I want to share the idea because it just it helps you get an audience that's really ready for your message. And sure. I think it makes the, the application of the work more meaningful. And, and it's just I'm, it was a random idea. It's the simplest thing ever. And we're just wash, rinse, repeat. Um, and I just like touch facilitation. The people that participate have such great insights. They know way more about leadership than the one person who's pushing the buttons on the Zoom, right? So I just ask questions and share a little bit from the book, but it's the participants that obviously drive the, the richness of the experience. That's wonderful. That's really wonderful. And I love that you made it about risk. I mean, I, I you never know when the timing of a book, when it's coming out, what's going to be going on in the world. But yeah, hold it up because I have your priority. There you go. Excellent. It's blue, like a boy, B-O-Y. It's fabulous. Um, no, it's great. It's a boy. It's a boy or it's a girl. It's a boy. No. After, after a couple books, they were all girls, I guess, but now we have a boy. <laughs> <laughs> books are like babies. It's like a lot of time to birth them. <laughs> yes, it is. It is definitely that. But, but the risk-taking piece is so important. And I think it's something that you get, um, I mean, if you weren't already inclined that way before the military, you certainly learn about it in the military. You certainly have to test it because it's sort of required. And and it's something that people, um, I love that you've noticed that people are more ready for it. And yet it is still hard for a lot of people to do and specifically a lot of women, right? Like, Sure. And ironically, the more successful you are, the more you're likely to have a chill on your risk-taking ability, right? And we define risk as taking action in the face of uncertainty. And so when you look at it that way, it's a skill that we all need because uncertainty is everywhere, right? And I think yes. our society is about how do we mitigate risk? How do we prevent risk? And I get it. In some ways you want to do that. Yet I would say, let's flip the coin. And that's what we did in the book. How do you actually intentionally invite risks that are meaningful to you um, and on your heart to, to do or to step towards into your life. And, and that's what then the book talks about failure. It talks about safety nets, right? It talks about all the things that would connect risk. Right. You're not always going to be successful. Uh, yet you are always going to have breakthroughs in learning when you're stepping towards what matters most to you. So thank you for the chance to talk today. I just loved it. And oh, it's um, I'm so glad we're connected. And yeah. if I can ever be of value to your listeners or to you, just you know, find me. I'm here and I'm a nerd, total nerd for what I do. So nothing would excite me more to have your readers want to, or to have your listeners want to read uh, Bet on You and Be an Author's Circle or to answer your question or anyone's question on leadership. Um, I live for it. So please have folks be in touch as I can be helpful. For, for sure. I, I definitely will. And we will put links to all of these books and, and your company into the show notes as well. Um, tell us uh, at, the, at the very end here, Tell us about a risk that you have taken um, that maybe didn't go well that you learned from. <laughs> well, I think all great journeys have many moments where they don't go well. So I moved my family to Europe a couple of years ago. Might sound familiar to you. Yes. Um, and it had so many moments that were low points, but overall it was amazing, right? And I think the key is to, to keep stepping. Starting my own company 18 years ago. I mean, there were years where I was broke. There were years where I was borrowing money to make it through, not just broke, but going into the hole to live my dream, right? So, yeah. but it's fine. It's worked out now, right? So, it's, sure. I think there's been so many failures and missteps and, and things that didn't go as well along the way. But the key, that's the grit piece, right? That again, you are the learned expert on. The key is to, to keep stepping. 
Keep stepping. I love it. Keep stepping. Courtney, thank you so much. I'm just thrilled for, with our connection before, uh, during, and, and, and in the years to come. And I'm excited for listeners to discover your work if they don't know it already, because there's so much richness there. And I just really appreciate the way that you bring that out into the world with such generosity. Oh, hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you for getting kind of who I am and um, for letting me just share my work with, with your listeners and, and all those in your community. So thank you. Keep doing your great work and good luck to you in this next chapter and uh, until we meet again. Take care. Thanks, Courtney. Take care. Be well. Bye-bye. Head over to your favorite podcasting platform and hit subscribe. Then go over to YouTube and hit subscribe as well. We'll be posting the uncut interviews over at YouTube. And of course, follow along at Shannon H. Poulsen and at the Grit Institute on Instagram and at LinkedIn. I can't wait to see you for this season. You don't want to miss a single episode.